3: Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am your humble correspondent in Washington, Griff Jenkins. Honored to fill in Brian Kilmeade off doing something incredibly important somewhere undisclosed in the world, in the country. Who knows? But I am fortunate to be here with you. The number 866 408-7669. 408 Just a quick background. Uh, if you are just joining us and you're wondering, why is Griff Jenkins sitting in this radio studio? I have no idea to answer the question, but I can't tell you how fortunate and blessed I am to get to do so. Because not only is Brian Kilmeade a great guy, a great friend, And one of the best in this business. But he and I go way back because I started my career in talk radio. It means so much to me to be sitting here right now today at this microphone because my first job in all of media was as a producer pushing the buttons on the console in a radio station back in the early 90s when we launched the Oliver North radio show, Common Sense Radio with Ollie North. I ran that operator's board for years. And then later, I would help launch Fox News Radio and the Tony Snow, God rest his soul, the Tony Snow radio show, an image of him Painted on the wall here in the Tony Snow Radio Studio. Brian Kilmeade used to fill in for Tony when he would be off. And we really got to know one another quite well. Not only in my capacity, which would later become a reporter and fill in anchor on Fox News. But to be able to sit in behind the microphone. And yesterday and the day before, I was just sitting in his seat on Fox and Friends on the TV show. Very special as well. But to be here behind the radio mic where I was starting my career where i was born to be behind a talk radio microphone in Brian Kilmeade it's very very special so i hope you'll join us today we've got great guests it's a Brian com if you want to check it out on the web or call us, 866-408-7669. We are fortunate to start the broadcast today with Congressman Burgess Owens out of Utah, former NFL star. Congressman, thank you for joining us on the Brian Kilmead show. Apologies up front. Brian's not here, but you'll have to <laughs> do with second best here in, in I am Very excited to have you join us, not only because I know you have been very vocal about the border, Mm -hmm. and I've just come back from Hakuba, California, where the next phase of this border crisis is really uh, ground zero in California, but also I've been taken by your thoughtful and and insightful comments about what's happening on college campuses. And, you know, the golden rule in this business, Burgess, is don't make it personal. Don't make it about yourself. So I'm just going to throw that right out the window and tell you, I have a daughter, and we find out a (laughs) slew of colleges we're waiting to hear from tomorrow, Uh, and then throughout the next few weeks, the various schools that she applied to will tell us, you know, whether she got in, and she applied from colleges from the South. I went to Ole Miss. Her older sister went to Georgia. She's applied to schools in the Midwest, and even California schools. What... What is going on? I mean, you know, for parents, thousands of parents across the country like me, we're worried about what we see on college campuses. We're worried about the anti-Semitism. We're worried about DEI and in the, in the, in the grip it's having on our young people because presumably the aforementioned daughter will not only get an education, but it will move out of the house and get a job. And this is, you know, a very difficult time to be a young person. What do you say, Congressman? Congressman?
4: Well, Griff, first of all, it's a real pleasure and honor. Um, I'm a big fan, my friend, and uh, I appreciate that little bit of history because I had no idea. And I, re- I do remember the, the Tony, Tony Snow days. I, I was just uh, very much into Rush and, and kind of getting my, my conservative wings of those Tony days. So, so I just want to say, first of all, thanks for, for all you're doing. You're doing a remarkable job, and it's, it's an honor to, to have a chance to chat, chat with you. Uh, let me just just say this about ed- education. I-, I was very, very fortunate to, uh, first of all, raised in a, in a home of academia. My dad was a college professor for 40 years and an entrepreneur. My mom was a high, uh, high school teacher. And one thing that happened when I was coming, when I was growing up in the 60s, days of KKK Jim Crow and segregation, is that in every community across our country, in terms of the black community, Education was our, was our gateway. <clears throat> we led the country at that time in terms of men matriculating from college because we knew if we can think, if we can compete, if we go out there and build our businesses, then we will will command respect. And that's the way we went at it. So I know what it is when, when education is going well. And also know what it is when we find the the tenets of Marxism, uh, the ideology that goes against everything we stand for. Uh, And and just to to kind of uh, lay the the, the, the legwork here, uh, the the foundation, our country is based on four basic tenets that allow us to truly dream big, to succeed, to have a legacy. And those tenets are faith family, the free market, and education. And as long as that is the, 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 the focus of our, our society, our community, uh, again, in my community, we did not have a lot of other opportunities, but that was the focus of our community, and because of it, we have so much success. We have right now, the last few decades, and we actually a couple of generations, an ideology of Marxism that hates everything we stand for. Uh, these folks are like little termites. Uh, we don't see them. We don't, we don't know they're there. We, 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 we take our kids and just happily take, take them to these schools that we feel they're going to come out uh, ready to go to work and be proud of our country. And They come out totally different. In debt, uh, hating our country, hating each other. And we, I, I say the upside of, of all that is that we finally see it. I, I am so excited about where we are today as a country because of what we went through with COVID, we have we have good parents now, very busy parents coming off the sideline and saying, you know what? I'm realizing I cannot just trust this system. I need to figure out is it, it are they teaching my children the right things or are they are they teaching my 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 uh, my values? And in many cases, they're not. So uh, I'll say thank goodness for the the uh, the, the majority we do have. You know, a small majority. Is one that finally allows us to educate the American people to what's been going on in these colleges. And I will say October 7th was another eye-opener. We had no idea Uh, this evil of anti-Semitism that's been prevalent. And it's it's all because of a matter of fact, it's not just anti-Semitism. We have these colleges that have separate graduations for blacks, Hispanics, gays. Uh, We have a a black-only dorm in which no one else, particularly Jews, are allowed to to, to be in these dorms. So they are teaching our children how to come out, hating our system, hating our country, and we now see it. And we have thank goodness a majority in the house, and we're going to slowly but surely pull this back. We do that by taking away the funding and looking at outcomes. And if they can't give us a good product, kids that come out uh, not only being able to uh, produce but not having life life uh, time of debt, they will pull the money back. They'll go figure out another way and and let the meritocracy work its way through our 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 educational system where it should.
3: Well, and you know Burgess, it's so. Fascinating that, that you, you know dissect the 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 takeaways of, of these higher learning institutions. And and by the way, uh this is Griff Jenkins on the Brian Kilmead show. If you're just tuning in, I'm filling in for the great Brian Kilmead, Congressman Burgess Owens joining us talking about the four tenants that make our lives successful, faith, family, free markets. In education, and, and, Congressman, I think you really hit something, uh, uh, the nail on the head, if you will, when you're talking about, you know, education and college experiences, uh, <laughs> by and large, when, when you and I were in college, you know, our parents uh, and my parents were pretty conservative parents living in Memphis, sure. Tennessee, wanted me to go out and get that education. Uh, and they wanted me to, to learn to think for myself, not to be indoctrinated and that's really what you're pointing to is that on so many of these campuses these professors are looking to replace whatever value system we brought from home with the one that they prescribe as the 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 success uh, of our future which uh, aligns in many ways critics point out with uh, the far left and marxism and socialism and and, and it is it is of great concern Congressman, uh, just in the last minute or so I've got, because uh, I'm going to run out of time with you, I do want to get just your take. You know, as you have this slim majority in the House, can anything be done on the border? A lot of Americans upset <laughs> uh, with the Senate bill that went down, but then, of course, upset with Republicans for not doing something legislatively uh, when it comes yeah. to the border crisis. <laughs>
4: Well, it doesn't take things legislatively to do anything. We have, uh, we had a, a very solid border. We had policies in place when Trump came in. I understand what, what's going on right now, and I'm going to say this real quickly. Clavit Tivin, look that up, please. In the 1960s, two Marxists decided they want to change the welfare system by overwhelming it, using the black community to overwhelm the welfare system, so they will have an income for all. That was the end game. Well, income for all did not happen, but they did destroy the, the black family unit. So right now they're, over, they're trying to overwhelm our system, trying to take away the hope. This president, if he loved our country, if he really cared about the 300 uh, uh, people dying every single day from fentanyl, of the slavery, the the sex the sex trafficking, if he really cared, he would put together what what uh, President Trump did, and with a pen change it like he did to get to where we are. So uh, no, we, we we don't have to wait for any additional legislation. I'll say this. The, the border, the southern border, is a priority for the uh, the Republican Party. Uh, if if they can't take care of that, if you can't put that as a priority, then we're gonna we're gonna let the American people speak up because right now we're aware, we're educated, and we're tired. We're sick and tired of being used, abused, and, and discarded by this hard left, so they can get their power and their profitability. Uh, and and, I, and I, I'll say this, we have, never have I seen Americans come together, uh, Democrats, Republicans, Blacks, Hispanics, Jews, it doesn't matter what our background is, we're finally coming together because we, we share the same pain and we realize what the source is. And it's a president who's clueless, who uh, does not love our country, who's used every every opportunity, every lever to hurt us when he could, And we're going to speak up in November 20, uh, November 2024 to finally get back on track and bring a president, President Trump, back who loves our country, give us a majority in the the House, a great majority, and went back to Senate. And within 18 to 24 months, I promise you, my friends, this country will look totally different.
3: You really are raising a interesting and important point. And just in the final minute here, I just want to tell our viewers, you know, speaking a little bit of what. Uh, Congressman Owens is talking about, you know, Americans coming together. There is nothing. There is nothing this country that Americans can't do if they come together. We have been the beacon, the highlight of the history of mankind because of our ability to come together. We've seen it in every field from education to science to technology. And we continue to lead the man that went first on the moon didn't come from Ecuador or Mm -hmm. Afghanistan or Kazakhstan or any of these other countries that are coming in droves to come to this country because they still know America is the best. And when we come together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. But yet when I was freezing my butt off on inauguration day in January, down on the mall, reporting on Joe Biden's inauguration, I remember standing there shivering, listening to the words he spoke of wanting to unite the country. And now I would submit to you, Burgess, this country has never been more divided, and at a dangerous precipice, a cliff yep. we're peering over, for which it feels like there's no turning back. And that is a bad thing right there. Congressman, we are out of time, my friend. Thank you for taking time. Congressman Burgess Owens on real, with us real, from Utah. A it's a pleasure to a have real you.
4: Pleasure. A real pleasure, my friend. Keep it up. Take care. I All that. right.
3: Thanks, Congressman. This is Griff Jenkins filling in, trying to fill the great shoes of Brian Kilmeade, thebriankilmeadeshow.com. Hey, give us a call, 866-408-7669. We've got a whole lot more. We're just getting started. Stick with us.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade show from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite (laughs) podcast.
2: From his mouth to, to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
3: The great Brian Kilmeade out on vacation, hopefully doing something wonderful and incredible. And it would not surprise me if he was doing that every day. Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade today, trying to fill his radio shoes and having a ball doing it. Give us a call at 866 or go to com. You know, we just had Congressman Burgess Owens on talking about the border crisis and it's saying that the Republicans in the House have this slim majority and that he thinks that they need to get back to... Uh, The Trump policies that had the border much more secure, obviously, than what it is now. But as someone who has been covering this crisis since at least 2010, going all the way back to when the Arizona Governor Jan Brewer at the time was trying to deputize her own state law enforcement to help with what was a border crisis that pales in comparison today in comparison to what it is today. I remember watching the evolution uh, under this administration, and it is undoubtedly, as Bill Malugian and I have reported, shifted from Texas out west to Arizona, and particularly California. But what is stunning, what is so alarming to border officials, and I talk to senior border officials, active border officials, nearly every single day now, is where these migrants are coming From They're not just from what is traditionally known as the Northern Triangle of Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, or from Mexico, or even now from places like Venezuela and Colombia and South America. They're from all over the world, and the migrants we encountered just in the past few days, going back to when I started out in Hakuba, California, and where Bill Malusian's taken over, listen to where these migrants are from and why they say they're coming. Cut one. Go. Where are you from? Uh... Guinea. So as you can see, a lot of uh, migrants here. This gentleman is from Cameroon. Cameroon. So where are you from?
6: Georgia. Georgia. I'm from Colombia. Where are you from? From Syria.
7: Why
3: are you coming to the U.S.? Why come?
6: Because we
7: uh, we love America, and uh, we need uh, a nice style, a nice life. Yeah. Coming uh, for jobs? Yeah, a nice job, a nice uh, because. Uh, our country
2: uh, uh, uh very wells. Where are you guys from? Colombia. Colombia. Where are you from? Uh, I'm Colombia. Colombia.
8: Brazil. I'm from Brazil.
5: Brazil. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Where are you guys from? Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan? Yeah, yeah. Kazakhstan? Where are you guys from? Brazil. Brazil.
3: Let me just do a quick check here. So we've got Guinea, Cameroon, Georgia, Colombia, Syria, where they're coming from a state sponsor of terror. The U.S. has listed Syria along with Iran and North Korea as a state sponsor of terror. This individual wants a, quote, nice job. They're also from Kazakhstan and Brazil. It's a stunning really reality, and it's happening in the dark of night. But for Fox News going there, myself and Bill Malusian, and showing it to you, no one in the country would know. You wouldn't know listening to this radio broadcast. And yet you have President Biden, who makes a trip out to California where this is happening, and he has nothing to say about that crisis. He wants to talk about trying to pander to young voters by canceling debt in a program that's never going to pass muster. Here is the president from Culver City, California, yesterday.
8: I'm proud to announce our save plan. We are immediately canceling the debt loans for over 150,000 borrowers, nearly six months ahead of schedule. Starting today, we're canceling student debt for borrowers who are enrolled in the save plan and have been paying student loans for as little as 10 years.
3: All right, so why am I giving you migrant sound bites and the president choosing to talk about student debt? Because ultimately, my friends, it may have a tie between the border crisis and the upcoming election. We'll talk about that coming up. Griff Jenkins on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Correction, this is the great Brian Kilmeade Show. I am Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent in Washington, trying to fill in for my buddy Brian's sh- Big Shoes and Radio, and it is great to be here with you. Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian. The number is 866-408-7669. Give us a shot if you want, or go check it out on the web at com. So in the last segment, if you were listening, we were I was sort of trying to connect the election, upcoming election, and the crisis at the border. And we are fortunate now to have Laura Rees, the director of Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center. Laura Thank you for joining us. And just let me get this out of the way right away. And that is, I am a big fan of yours. I read almost everything you put out because as you are well aware, there are reporters like myself and Bill Malusian and others that have to try and explain to the American people what's happening. And process and put into context the 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 various things that are happening. I've just put a note out this morning about the, the chief of the Border Patrol released a, or put out a tweet saying that there have been more than 6,400 migrants that have criminal histories, including murder, rape, Drugs, weapons, trafficking, 6,400 criminal migrants apprehended since the fiscal year began on October 1st. I said, let me do some math. And for a kid that went to Ole Miss, math isn't my strength, but I got my handy calculator out. And I said, all right, let's see, 31 days October, 30 days November, thirty-one, one 145 days since the fiscal year began. And you divide 6,400 by 145, and you find out that 44 criminals are crossing the southern border every single day. And it strikes me, Laura, that there must be some reason that the adults in the room, in this case, that's the Biden administration and President Joe Biden, would allow such a horrifying reality of a statistic to happen And let it go undeterred. And I wonder what could possibly be the motivation. I don't know. I can't ascribe a motivation. But one has to think about, well, could it be that there is a political angle here? And you wrote about how this crisis could possibly have an impact on the upcoming election, on congressional House seats, the presidential election. Explain.
1: Well, Griff, thanks for having me on and and for the kind words. And thank you also for going down to the border so often and covering this. Unfortunately, there's too many or too few journalists that are are covering uh, the border crisis. Um, Yes, but to your question regarding the the politics around this, this goes to the U.S. Census. Uh, President Trump tried to get a citizenship question put back onto the census. And, of course, the left sued, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and it was tossed on a very weak uh, procedural matter. And so the net result is we don't have a citizenship question on the census, which means everybody is counted here, whether you are a US citizen, a lawful permanent resident green card holder, a temporary visitor, or an illegal alien. And when everyone is counted, that those numbers are used to draw congressional districts. And so if you're a state like California with a high non-citizen, and, and in this context, this is the accurate use of non-citizen, not like the Biden administration using that term instead of a legal alien. This is everyone short of US citizenship. Uh, those numbers are counted to draw congressional districts. So if you're a state like California with high migrant non-citizen numbers, you're going to have more congressional districts than you should if you are only counting U.S. citizens. And it's only U.S. citizens who can vote. So only U.S. citizens should be counted. And already California has, I believe, five erroneous congressional districts, five extra districts they should not have if only U.S. citizens were counted. And it's a zero-sum game. So if California has extra districts, that means other states have fewer districts than they should. Uh, Those numbers then also determine electoral votes for selecting the president. So California is going to get more electoral votes than it should, and other states get fewer, and therefore... That is where the Democrats focus their campaigns because it gets them more points towards winning the presidency.
3: Laura Reese joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show here, director of Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center. And, Laura, that's a fascinating prospect. And, you know, if you focus just on California again for a moment and, and the potential electoral impact in, in the congressional districts, you also have to look at – What the state of California is doing to sort of entice and to incentivize migrants to come there. You have an entire state by law that's a sanctuary state, meaning that the federal, that the local and state law enforcement does not cooperate with the federal immigration authorities. You have, as of January 1st, free health care. Every single non-citizen in the state of California as of January 1st immediately qualified by just existing or illegally crossing the border, which is how they got there, they qualify for health insurance under CalCare. You've got the surge that Bill Malish and I have been talking about now of Chinese migrants, 4,000% increase from fiscal year 2021 happening there in a state that already has a giant Chinese diaspora existing in places like San Francisco and, and other places in Southern California. Do you see any way that this trend reverses?
1: Well, it has to apparently get so bad that uh, more Americans react to it. Um, It is simply unsustainable, the trajectory that California is on, and unfortunately that uh, the Biden administration is trying to copy for all of America. Um, The governor, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom of California, is now realizing the money pits, the, you know, the debts that he has, that he faces for California for this very reason. uh, You cannot have open borders and a welfare state. Um, That's just fiscally not going to work. Um, And it continues to put California residents last, not just economically, but endangering their public safety and the national security. So where Texas has been successful in putting up uh, their fencing and the National Guard to cause the shift to move west. So now the illegal aliens are, are entering in Jacumba, California and Arizona and other points. More California residents are now put at risk for their personal safety, uh, their costs. And, um, you know, Californians, Americans, period, shouldn't have to suffer these yeah. crimes and deaths from fentanyl and these gang members. Uh, before their leaders act to course correct.
3: Yeah, and, you yeah. know, when I was in California last week in Hacumba, uh my, my cameraman is from California. He's lived, born, and raised there, and... I said, you know, the, your taxpayer dollars are going to this. And it's, it's such a great point you make about what's going to, the only thing that's really going to reverse an unsustainable, as you correctly point out, situation is enough voters getting upset. And you're seeing a little bit of that frustration playing out in Illinois, particularly in, in Chicago. And, and I've often said one of the, Perhaps most successful things that Texas Governor Greg Abbott did was to put the migrants and ship them to sanctuary Democrat blue cities like New York and Chicago to take the border crisis to their cities so they could see it rather than just ignore it as a as a passing by situation for Texas border towns and in in Illinois you've got you know numerous in 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 the black community in the hispanic community fox has put on sound bites of these residents saying enough is enough not just from crime but from the fact that their taxpayer dollars are going to it you've got governor jv pritzker laying out a proposal now for the state to include another 182 million dollars next year to next year's budget just for the migrant crisis for which the state of Illinois has already spent in excess of 1 billion dealing roughly Laura with 35 to 40,000 migrants tops and yet you look at the 2 million plus we're getting and you're looking at the city of Chicago being financially crippled by some thirty-five or 40,000 migrants, at some point you, you figure leaders are going to have a light bulb go off and they're going to realize, as you just said, it's unsustainable. But we are seeing in poll after poll after poll, the American people are getting it. And that's why it is in poll after poll after poll a top issue. The question is, will – the politics of this issue be such that we could end up with even more uh, pro-migrant crisis leaders in places that are traditionally liberal, like New York and Chicago? What do you think? Well, these the sanctuary
1: mater will set aside some money to pay for illegal immigrant services, but it's never enough. I mean, it's truly a fiscal bottomless pit as they continue to... Uh, their sanctuary policies. They never reverse those. It's just become a money grift for them where they demand more taxes from the federal government and from their state payers as well. Um, And so we've seen organic protests emerge from angry New Yorkers and Chicagoans in reaction to this (laughs) because they are always put last. They're losing um, housing. They're losing their schools and their rec centers to immigrant shelters, their parks. The violence is growing. Their stores are being looted. Their police are being uh, assaulted. Um, and so we need that organic protest to spread throughout the country. Yeah. Um, and it's starting to work. I mean, the fact that the Biden administration is now considering um you know, some border security measures. You know, <laughs> we'll I, believe see. I see it. I, believe exactly. I see it. But the opposition has dragged them at least that far. And, you know, after three years they were content with having opened the border and keeping it open and having unlimited illegal immigration. But now year four, it's an election year and they see this was the number one issue in New Hampshire of all places. Um, and so they realize, yeah. well, they have to do something now they are they continue to be deceitful about it. Um, they just want to get the political credit
3: i 'll believe it when I see it that is of course the aforementioned and supposedly coming executive action that President Biden's going to take after undoing over 90 executive orders that President, former President Donald Trump put in order in his efforts to secure the border. Laura Rees joins us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in. And by the way, Laura's uh, Heritage Foundation Border Center is something that you all need to be reading. If you're not, you can follow her on Twitter. At L-O-R-A, Laura underscore Reads R-I-E-S. She knows what she's talking about. And, you know, in just the 30 seconds or so I've got left, Laura, I just want to ask you, do you think that when we wake up after the election in November and look at results, we will see truly how much we care about what we have happening on our southern border or not?
1: Well, I truly hope so. I mean, it depends on two things, turnout, but also election integrity. Um, And so all the the policy changes or concerns in the world um, only will go so far if there is uh, not election integrity. And we saw a lot of problems on that front uh, in 2020 and, and other election years as well. So Uh, You know, in addition to we need Americans to voice their opinions and oppositions to these terrible policies, we also need Americans engaged and active on uh, election integrity, poll watching, et cetera.
8: All right, Laura
3: Rees, the Heritage Foundation's Border Security and Immigration Center director. She does great work. I'm Griff Jenkins on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Laura, thank you for taking time. And by the way, you know they record these things with the technological wonders we have here. So you and I are going to join Brian Kilmeade on his show after the election, and we're going to play this soundbite back, and we'll know whether or not the American people truly are getting it and willing to take it to the ballot box to try and make a difference. I would submit to you, Laura, that our nation has never had a greater national security risk in terms of illegal crossings than we are having right now. And that's not what Griff Jenkins thinks. That's the comment that is most consistently given to me by the leaders who are in charge of the southern border. Laura Reese, thank you for taking time. Thanks so much, Griff. All right, this is Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent, filling the shoes for the great Brian Kilmeade. We'll be back in just a moment.
2: Hear the ins and outs of the 2024 election right here. The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: This is Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent in Washington, filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. And you've got to love that bumper music. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I started in talk radio. My heart and my soul always belong in talk radio. And that, by the way, is the great Eric Albine, our, our uh, producer up there, playing the great bumper music. It just fires you up sometimes in talk radio. We learned this from Rush Limbaugh going back when he – really started this movement that has grown into what it is in this country. Now, God rest his soul. It's almost three years to the day that Rush died in in mid February. But you know, the, the bump music can sometimes set the tone. And that's why we couldn't have a better bump song to bump in for a soundbite I'm going to play with a guest that's going to join us a little bit later in the program. And it, this is a, the issue we're talking about here is the migrants coming from so far away, China, Kazakhstan, and places like that.
6: Let's go. Cut four. If those folks are coming in from China... They can't really be fully vetted, because there's no agreements with China on doing background checks on their people. Secondly, if you've got folks coming in from China, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, India, how do you remove them if they're not eligible for asylum? Well, this is exactly
3: a problem. By not pushing them back and keeping them in Mexico, people from Syria and other countries of that sort absolutely cannot be vetted, and yet they're being released.
6: We've talked to the Border Patrol. I had a briefing earlier this morning the Border Patrol is releasing these people, even if they're not asking based on credible fear. So one of the things that's, that's really killing us is when people say they're just coming in for a job uh, illegally,
3: they're still being let loose and they won't be given a date anywhere close to 10 years from now. So realistically, what they have is a 10 year get out of out of visa free. That was Congressman Darrell Issa talking to my colleague and friend, John Roberts, the one and only anchor of uh, America in the afternoon. Listen, I want you to know that this is a major issue of national security. We're going to talk not to Daryl Issa, but to John Roberts coming up a little bit later in this show. And I mentioned the bumper music because he is, after all, a musician and a DJ. So we're going to work on our bum music to really tee him up, and we're going to dive right in to what is a pressing issue in this nation right now, and that is the crisis at our southern border. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade. We'll be back. Don't go anywhere.
2: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
3: look out radio world this is griff jenkins your humble correspondent in washington dc trying to fill this spectacular giant shoes of my friend and colleague brian Kilmead. Who allowed me to sit in today with you and talk about everything under the sun from the border crisis to we've got this presidential election uh, coming up. And there's some interesting sound bites we're getting from former President Donald Trump in his interview with Laura Ingram in a town hall this week. and. One of the things we want to get into is maybe the foreign policy front. And nobody better to talk to this hour than Mark Thiessen, my colleague at Fox News. He's a contributor. He's a former chief presidential speechwriter for George W. Bush, a Washington Post columnist. Mark, I don't even know. I don't think there's enough time in this hour to describe (laughs) all of the accomplishments and amazing things you've done. But let me just suffice it to say, uh, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you are one of the smartest people. I have ever met and I'm 53 years oh old my and God, one of the most insightful you. because you're able to read through the BS to to put things into context to, and that's why you were a presidential speech writer and as I was Talking previously on this show, you know, the speechwriters are the gray ones. That's why Tony Snow, my <laughs> mentor and idol, God rest his soul, Lord. was a presidential speechwriter. Uh, and, of course, you worked with him in, in a previous administration. But, yep. but, you know, there are these moments. And, again, this is Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade. You can give us a shout at 866-408-7669 or check us out at briankilmeadeshow.com. Mark. What I wanted to ask you about. So I'm I'm actually was filling in uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday for Brian Kilmeade on his T V show. And of course, you know, we're like, oh, we're gonna have this Laura Ingram interview with Donald Trump. It's gonna be a big deal, it's gonna be a big deal. And we got to talk about sound bites. So make sure you stay up and watch it. And I'm like, oh, okay, seven o'clock, I can still do that and wake up early for a morning show. And I'm watching it, and as a guy that was uh, covering Ukraine, I was the first correspondent to interview Zelensky when, when he was in Kiev about three months into the war. They sent me into Kiev after my colleague Ben Hall was injured, and, and uh, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. I think it's an important story, regardless of where anyone's politics are. But at one point, Trump is talking about paying for Ukraine and he made a comment which completely perplexed me listen to this cut cut 20 here Mark listen to this and tell me if you can can decipher what is he saying
8: it's like Ukraine they're not paying we're paying we're paying for the Ukraine much more than they are they should be paying at least on an equal basis they should actually be paying more and the reason they're not is that nobody's asking them I guarantee you Biden do you think Biden's calling these guys and saying, listen fellas you got to pay up pay up Get your ass moving. Pay up. (laughs) Not going to do that. (laughs) So
3: I I, I fall backwards in, in my chair thinking, does he think that Ukraine is in NATO and needs to be paying with other NATO members in their GDP spending? Because last time I checked, Ukraine is not in NATO, although Vladimir Zelensky sure would like to be. (laughs)
7: <laughs> exactly. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the on on the day when you upgraded hosts on the radio show. I appreciate that.
8: <laughs> <laughs>
7: and uh, look, I, I, I think he was probably referring to most of the other NATO allies. He he sort of jumps around from things like that. But he he's ta- I think he's saying that basically his point was: look, we've got an ocean between us and Ukraine. They're right there. Uh, they should be paying more. And in terms of real dollars, uh, we are paying a lot more. But in terms of percentage of GDP. Uh, we're, we're spending a lot less uh, than many of our NATO allies, particularly the frontline states, the Poles, the Lithuanians. The, the I think if you – the last time I checked, we we're, I think, in ninth place uh, in terms of percentage of GDP. So the Europeans yeah. really have, have stepped up and are doing a lot. But you know, I think I think that Trump's views on Ukraine are much more nuanced and complex than the anti-Ukraine right seems to think. They seem to think that he shares their sort of revulsion for for Zelensky, their revulsion for Ukraine, their desire to get out. Uh, You know, they're a minority in the party, but he doesn't really. Um, He has said. I, I went back. I have a column in the Washington Post today. Um, talking about going through some of the things that he said about Ukraine. He said you, you, Zelensky is a, bra- a brave guy. He says that he likes Zelensky because he backed him up on the phone call. He said that in at least three different interviews, including <laughs> last year with Maria Bartiromo on our network. And he said he could have thrown me under the bus, but he didn't. He's a good guy. He's brave. The Russia, He called the Russian uh, invasion an atrocity. Um, and he, what he said is, I'm going to – Get get this thing stopped. I'm going to put a stop to it, and I'm going to be negotiating a negotiated deal in 24 hours. That's triple typical Trumpian bluster that he could do it in 24 hours. But <laughs> but he says what he's going to tell Putin is, um, if you don't agree to the peace deal I offer you, I'm going to double aid the Ukraine. He said that on uh, on uh, to Maria Bartiromo on our network, um, and a lot of people overlook that. He he he's his message to Putin is, you better stop and stand down and agree to peace, or I'm going to help Ukraine win this thing. Um, and that, that's very much more Trumpian than you know the JD Vances of the world uh, who, who just want to abandon Ukraine. But if you want to help Trump negotiate a deal, right? So Trump says he's going to negotiate peace. If Republicans want to help him do that, they should be passing aid to Ukraine right now. Because Trump can't, if, if Putin is, if we don't give the weapons to Ukraine, then Zelensky is uh, not gonna be able to push back on, on the Russians anymore. The Russians are gonna start pushing towards Kyiv again. They could get to the, to the borders of NATO. And then if, if Putin is winning, he's not gonna have, Trump's not gonna have any leverage. He's not going to have this any is... leverage to negotiate a deal. Uh, so if you want Trump to have a huge success in his first year in office by by bringing an w- end to this war, you've got to help the Ukrainians create conditions on the battlefield this year that allow him to do that. And I think that's something that's lost on a lot of the uh, the Republicans in Congress right now.
3: It's. Such a great point. This is why you are one of the smartest people I know, and it's oh, Mark Thiessen you. joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins trying to pinch hit for my great friend Brian here, and and Mark Thiessen has a great piece today in the Washington Post, and you write in this post uh, today, in your piece, you say... To be, quote, to be clear, I'd like to see the United States do everything in its power to help the people of Ukraine. It doesn't matter who gets credit, but House Republicans might consider the narrative Trump will have if he successfully negotiates a peace deal. And as you pointed out, rightfully so, President Donald Trump has given aid militarily to Ukraine in the past. 2017, you got millions of dollars in Javelin missiles. And, and, you know, it really is... Uh, An exercise in in what, you know, for those of us with teenage children and others, an exercise in in sort of, you know, not flying off the handle in some restraint And the House Republicans really are pushing even the Trump narrative. And now that you've laid it out pretty clearly in this far right anti-Ukraine position, which is not only. Uh, 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 untenable and, and would put the, the the Western free world at risk. But it's also just bad politics, because no, in, a, in the game yeah. of politics, you don't start taking uh, voluntarily options off of your own table.
7: No, that's exactly right. And look, uh, Trump is uh, I, I interviewed him in the Oval Office right before the, the 2020 election. And one of the things that he told me was, uh, that he uh that he was tougher on Russia than any president in 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 our time first of all no he 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 rightly points out that he's the only president in the twenty first century that putin didn't invade another country on his watch. You know, I mean, at the end of the Bush administration, he, he inv- invaded Georgia. Uh, uh, under Obama's watch, he invaded Ukraine uh, the first time. And now he on Biden's watch, he's invaded Ukraine again. He didn't invade anybody when Trump was president. Trump, and Trump, what, the part of the reasons are, is that Trump was incredibly tough on him. He, if, if Trump told me that he gave the order for U.S. military forces to kill hundreds of Russian Wagner fighters in Syria in 2018. He launched a cyber attack on the Internet Research Agency. Which is the troll farm in Saint Petersburg that was interfering in the 2016 election? Um, he, yeah. he and as you said, he gave lethal aid to Ukrainians. He said, "I gave them tank, anti-tank busters." Obama sent them, you know, blankets. Um, and those and by the way, those weapons. If you remember, before the start of the war in in in, uh, in 2021, it was the Biden administration that was cutting off the aid to military aid to Ukraine that Trump had offered. And they were they were holding back because they didn't want they want, didn't want to provoke Putin. And it right. was the weapons that Trump had given them, these javelins that you that they used to stop the assault on Kiev. You know, it's a,
8: it is. So so
7: Trump actually helped save Kiev, uh with it, with the weapons that he gave them. He
3: did. And, you know, what. If you look, as you mentioned uh, at the top of this segment, you know, the NATO members that are spending more than the U.S., the U.S. is at 3.49 percent. Look at the Mm -hmm. top one. The top one's Poland at 3.9 percent. They're not doing it because they want to because they know ultimately if the U.S. is weak, the last – best hope they've got is that NATO membership, and they are, in fact, all of the countries that border Russia are spending as much as they can, or they're trying desperately to get into NATO for this very reason, and I think, you know, you're very right, and that is that if the Republicans don't give Ukraine weapons... Ultimately, even though Biden's weakness brought the invasion on, Republicans are going to own, as you point out in your piece, will own Ukraine's collapse, military collapse, and they would leave Trump with the weak hand. And, you know, in Brett Baer's great interview, exclusive, you can watch it tonight on Special Report, uh, Zelensky was pretty clear about what happens if the help doesn't come now. Listen here. Cut 30. Go.
8: We have
0: to be more quick. That means to lose all the bureaucracy what we have. Otherwise, we will not have any chance. To. So to be smart technology, more technologically, and of course,
7: quick. It's not money, it's people. people's lives.
3: People's lives. Mark, what are your thoughts?
7: No, that's exactly right. And I just want, I just want for your listeners to, to know, understand what Trump has said. So this is what he said uh, to Maria Bartiromo last July. He said, quote, I would tell Putin, if you don't make a deal, we're going to give the Ukrainians a lot. We're going to give them more than they ever got if we have to. That's Donald Trump's position on Ukraine. He, he is not talking about he does not want Putin to win in Ukraine. Uh, and and he is, he what he wants is for people to stop dying. He thinks he he believes correctly that the war would never happen if he if he had won the won the 2020 election if he had served a second term. I think he's right. Um, but the, the 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 problem is is that even if he's reelected, he's only gonna be president for four years. So he's got to negotiate the kind of a peace deal that's going to outlast his presidency. It's got to be something that's stable that allow the, the so that his foreign policy victory outlasts him. And you, you, what you don't want is you don't want to get a peace deal that where Putin says, okay, I'll stop for four years while Trump is president and use that time to rearm, reconstitute my military, say, you know, lick my wounds from all the blows that the Ukrainians have given me, and then start over again when the next president comes in. It's got to be something that's solid. And the only way you can do that is if the Ukrainians are on the offensive this year. And if the mm-hmm. only way that happens is if we give them the weapons they need to do that. So we set up Trump for success and we set him up to have have a lasting legacy by ending this war in a way that's sustainable and that Putin never, ever tries it again.
3: Words of wisdom there. His name is Mark Thiessen. His article right now up on WashingtonPost.com is if Republicans want to help Trump, they should pass Ukraine aid. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Mark, thank you for coming on. Such great insight. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go and read your article at Washington Post right now to get some insight, particularly if they're feeling upset about seeing aid going to Ukraine. This really helps give some perspective there. In just the last 20 seconds I've got here, boy, wouldn't it be fascinating. I doubt doubt it's going to happen, Mark. But if we could get Biden and Trump on a debate stage on this issue.
7: I don't think that Joe Biden is going to go on a debate stage with Donald Trump. I don't think he can handle it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Mark Thiessen, thanks for joining us today. Great, as always, my friend. I'll see you in the halls here at Fox News. Meanwhile, I'm Griff Jenkins, trying to fill those great big shoes of the great Brian Kilmeade show. We'll be right back.
2: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Just into the lead, the Biden family's German shepherd, Commander has been involved in at least 24 biting incidents involving the U.S. Secret Service.
6: An agent working at the Biden's Rehoboth Beach, Delaware home, was bit in the backyard as he walked to his post. And a report we got from that incident said that it caused a severe, deep open wound, that the agent started to lose a significant amount of
1: blood.
5: Yeah, I've been in a similar situation. It's rough. It's, I don't mean that as, no, no, I didn't mean that as a stupid pun. Like, it's, it's difficult. But Absolutely. The dog has to go. <laughs>
3: It's rough, says Jake Tapper. This is Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Give us a call and let us know whether you think the president's dog, the German Shepherd commander, should be given away. Should he be rehomed? By the way, this show, The Brian Kilmeade Show, is dog-loving, dog-friendly. Brian Kilmeade has dogs. I have a Jack Russell named Rascal, and he uh, absolutely consumes every inch of my heart. I cook for him on the grill. I take care of him on occasion on one incident he nipped at a guy that was coming to do some some work on our house because he mistook the guy for, you know, playing with him. And and I'll play rough. And, by the way, it's a much smaller dog. It weighs 5 pounds, not 90 pounds. uh, And it was a mistake, and it wasn't a bad uh, nip, but it frightened the guy. And and everything was okay about that. But in this case, you've got – Twenty four reported instances where this dog has attacked a Secret Service agent. And you have to ask yourself, is it at that point such a distraction and such a threat to the safety of agents whose job is to be at every waking moment uh, protecting the president time to give him away? And by the way. What's with Biden owning aggressive German Shepherds? It's worth pointing out that before Commander was the other German Shepherd named Major who was rehomed for this very reason, for attacking agents. It kind of doesn't make sense, but I guess as Jake Tapper points out, it's a rough situation. (laughs) Give us a call, 866-408-7669. I mean, it's a serious problem. If you have an aggressive dog, you have to deal with it. I, I, when I was growing up, my older sister, she's ten years older than I am, had a uh, bull terrier named Winky, and Winky not only ate and mauled a gerbil because I was only like a, a, a teenage. 10-year-old kid at the time, I was mortified, but Winky bit multiple people, and ultimately my sister had to give Winky the Bull Terrier away. We later saw it on uh, some magazine, local Memphis, Tennessee-type magazine, sitting with a bunch of children on a cover, so it turned out maybe, maybe Commander's Days are brighter ahead away from Joe Biden in the White House. I don't know. Give us a call. Let us know. What you think, the number, 866 408 What to do with Commander, the aggressive White House German Shepherd. Should he be rehomed, or should you just let him run the White House? There's questions about who's running the White House. Maybe it's Commander. I don't know. Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Give us a call. Drop us a note. Let us know what's going on. We'll be right back with a whole lot more.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: As someone who spends a fair amount of time in the Oval Office with the President,
2: did you ever have a troubling encounter with
0: Commander? No, Mm
1: -hmm. not at all. So he never nipped you? No. Were you ever wary of being around him because of the biting incidents that you had heard about? Absolutely. And I've seen Commander many times. I was never worried, and I've never been bit by Commander.
2: Have any of your, have any of the members of your staff uh, what
1: I can of, say I don't have numbers of uh of of uh of you know exact numbers of of uh any incidents uh with commander
3: what There's not a a statistic number of times that the giant German shepherd named commander at the White House that belongs to the president, your boss, has bitten staff. It appears the number is 24. We all know it. She doesn't know it. That's Corinne Jean-Pierre at the White House talking about President Biden's aggressive German shepherd commander and whether or not he should be rehomed after being removed from the White House campus. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade today and we got off the border and Ukraine and investigations into the business dealings of President Biden and his family to talk about the pressing and important national issue of the the dog at the White House commander and what to do about it, because the dog apparently doesn't like to. Spend time with the Secret Service biting a lot of people. And I want to get back to your calls at 866-408-7669. But quickly, let me just digress and, and shift here Pivot, if you will, to the dogs that I most encounter are dogs on the border that pursue the migrants that are running through the bush trying to evade apprehension because they don't want to be caught. And it is but for those canines that stop millions of dollars and thousands of pounds of deadly narcotics like fentanyl, methamphetamine, cocaine, and, of course, capture the criminal migrants that are crossing our borders with the Border Patrol in the There's nobody better to talk to about what's happening at our border than my colleague and my great friend, one of the most uh, talented reporters I've ever met, Bill Malusian, who covers the border with me. He's out in Hakumba right now, where I was last week. He's there now joining us. Bill, I know the signal's rough there. I have witnessed that firsthand, but thanks. I think we've got a connection with you for a moment. uh, And I just want to get your insight on what are we seeing today? What's going on out there, man?
5: Hey, Griff. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. As you know well, we just came out of that Jewel Valley Road area um, to get some better cell service to talk to you. But uh, it's an area where we saw uh, people from all over the planet arriving illegally, just like you saw last week. Uh, We talked to... Uh, some guys from China and Georgia yesterday. And the big question we have is, like, how are they getting here, right? Because you and I always get questions. Why aren't these people's clothes dirty? How how are they getting here from halfway around the world? And it was interesting. We used a, a, a translator app with the Chinese group, and he, he told us they first flew into Turkey, then they flew into Mexico, and then they bust their way up here to the border. Then we talked to a guy from Georgia who told us the same thing. He flew into Turkey, then flew into Guatemala, then took a car into Mexico and then bust his way up to the northern border in Tijuana. So, you know, we often hear the stories about all oh, these people are walking through the jungle and the Darien Gap. That's true for some demographics, but these people coming from Asia for the most part, they're just they're just flying their way into some of these Central American countries, skipping all that and, and walking their way up to the border. And uh you you talked to a few guys from Syria last week. I'd be curious how, how they got here.
3: Yeah, they're flying in, and it's such a great point, such an important point that you're pointing out, Bill, is that you know these migrants, and, and I interviewed a few of them as well. A guy from uh, Ecuador that said he flew uh, from Ecuador ultimately into Cancun, Cancun to Mexico City, Mexico City into Tijuana, then paid, according to him, a thousand dollars to be taken by the cartel to Hacumba, an hour east of, of Tijuana, to cross into. To Akumba, there. And you really have to wonder if these migrants that are illegally crossing have what is undoubtedly thousands of dollars to make this trip, but then turn around and tell you and I, Bill, that they're coming from oppression and they're coming because they don't have a job and they're living in poverty in their countries. Why aren't they using that money to try and better their situation in their home countries?
5: That's a fantastic question, and I'll point out something funny that happened yesterday. While we were using Google Translate to talk to the Chinese guy who was telling us he wants a job here, um, my producer looked down and noticed he was wearing Louis Vuitton shoes, and they were not knockoffs. They were real ones. As you know, they the Chinese are considered like exotics by the cartel, and they've got to pay tens of thousands of dollars to cross in this area, and the cartels love moving them here because they're, they're making bank with all these Chinese nationals coming. You, you and I just got that CBP data, which shows uh, more Chinese nationals have crossed the border illegally in the San Diego sector than Mexican nationals since October 1st. That is an insane stat. Think about that. Chinese from all around the world crossing the border more here than Mexican nationals, and the cartels love it because they have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to get the green light to cross here. So, yeah, it's a great point. You know, a lot of these people will ultimately uh, claim asylum because they know that's their ticket in the U.S., but they're telling you and I on camera, no, 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 we're here for work, we want a job. Uh, and then when you, typically when you ask them, well, how much did you pay to get here, they go, oh, no, 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 we, we didn't pay anything. You and I both know that's not true. Nobody crosses here without paying.
3: You are listening to Bill Malusion out there in Akuma, California on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Griff Jenkins, and I'm a little biased here, Bill, because you and I have been covering this border crisis, which we didn't choose to cover, but for it grew into what it is now. And, you know, I I often uh, have members of Congress. Viewers, others that come up and say, "Hey, if it weren't for you and Bill showing this, would anybody actually know that it's going on?" And you know, the answer, uh, to be fair, is is probably not. And and you know, I often trace back that when we first started using the drone, I was using it in in McAllen, but then we got to the Haitian crisis in Del Rio that you put up and you got it up there and they tried to take our drone down and you got in a helicopter with Texas DPS and showed them. I think that really opened their eyes. And now here we are with really countries from all over the world, many of them dangerous countries showing up in California. And it's just you and I friend showing this and trying to sound the alarm. (laughs) We, I think we just lost him. Now, that, by the way, and thank you if you're out there listening, Bill Malusion, for calling in. That is the realities of what it is to cover stories like this. It is so remote out there in Hakumba california there 's no signal it 's difficult it 's hard to get there. We have to drive an hour every morning at two three in the morning to get in position to start reporting out there you 're in uh, cold conditions it 's windy and it 's just a part of 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 the challenge of bringing the story. But as I was pointing out with my colleague bill it's it 's so Uh, critical that we do tell the story and in doing so we've we've uh, earned the respect of many of the border officials who are not allowed because they're, they're muzzled by this administration. Under the Trump administration, they made the border officials, DHS, CBP, and Border Patrol chiefs wide open. We could ride along with them. They could talk freely about the situation, and we could try and cover it and allow the American people to know in the name of transparency what the heck was going on in their border. Now, this administration has absolutely been muzzling these uh, officials in the Border Patrol. And, and, and it is but for our conversations off camera that we're able to tell the story. And the number one thing that, that they say. They're worried about is the national security risk. And when Bill Malusian is running into people from Kazakhstan and I'm running into people from Syria, countries that we don't have repatriation agreements, countries that our government doesn't regularly uh, have communication with, let alone share any national security risk, we have very little a uh, way of actually finding out who exactly the person is. And yet with the sheer volume of numbers and one border patrol agent told me, he said, you know, Griff, you guys have done a great job showing the size of the flow of illegal immigration. And this was shortly after I had broken the news that there was more than 300,000 illegal crossings, migrant encounters in the month of December. But he said, for officials like us, we worry sometimes not so much about the size of the flow, although that's stunning. We worry about what's in the flow and it is what's in the flow that could potentially pose that national security risk and in the case of the three individuals I interviewed that said they wanted a nice life, wanted a nice job from from Syria a state sponsor of terror it's going to be very difficult to know whether or not This individual is here for nefarious reasons or whether he should be granted asylum. But at the same time, we have a hard time sending them back to Syria because they don't accept them when we send them back. And when you compound the number of individuals, single adult males coming from places like that, you cannot arrive setting all politics aside at any conclusion other than that is a vulnerability. That is a risk that is a threat and one that should be very soberly and seriously considered And something should be done about it. And yet you hear the platitudes from this current administration saying that they're going to increase deportations, although they may not be able to do so now because they're going to have a budget windfall because House Republicans won't pass uh, any sort of legislation. And the Senate bill died, so there's no money, so they can't do it. But they're still saying they're going to increase deportations somehow, some way, they'll find a will, they'll find a way. But you look at – The fact that under President Joe Biden, more than 7 million people have illegally crossed the border and have been released into the U.S. under a policy of mass releasing, 7 million plus to go out and round them up. If I said to you, I'm going to grab some buses and go round up the entire state populations, Entire state populations of Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, and North Dakota, D- Dakota, Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, and North Dakota, the total state population combined of those four states is less than than the number that have been released into the U.S. with a notice to appear with a court date years down the road that the migrant may or may not choose to even bother to show. It might even lose the notice to appear because the data is so far in the future. More people have been released than the populations of those four states. You're going to round them up, pop them on a bus and pop them on a plane. There aren't enough buses and planes in the country to do that, let alone owned by the government. And Why am I harping on this? Well, because it leaves holes and risks and threats fall through the cracks. I just did an exclusive interview a few weeks ago with the acting director of ICE, Patrick Leckleitner. And he told me about an individual that crossed in the San Diego sector where Bill Malusia and I were from Somalia. He gave a fake name. And Border Patrol released him into the country. For nearly a year, he roamed the country, a known terrorist belonging to Al-Shabaab. And it wasn't until in Minnesota he gave his real name to qualify for government benefits that was recently afforded to non-citizens that they were able to run a cross match that just happened to pop up. And he was a confirmed Al-Shabaab known terrorist From Somalia and within 48 hours, hats off, kudos to ICE within 48 hours, they were able to go out and apprehend that individual. But when you put the dots together and you look at the risk and you look at the numbers and you look at the way things fall through the cracks, you have to put yourself in the shoes of senior border officials and think, how does that guy or gal sleep at night knowing How bad the situation is, what little is being done, and what great vulnerability and threat it ultimately poses. And you realize how they get to that conclusion. It feels like we're not worried about if, we're more worried about when. Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade Show, 866-408-7669. Give us a call. We'll talk about the border. We'll talk about the Ukraine situation. We'll talk about the investigation of the Biden family. We'll even talk about the president's aggressive dog, Commander. We'll be right back.
2: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: It makes you think, unless you're a dog named Commander, a German Shepherd of the White House, it might just make you go out and bite a Secret Service agent, because that's clearly what's happening there. This is Griff Jenkins filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade, and we are talking about everything under the sun in this show. Here's a bad pun like Jake Tapper. The show is gone to the dogs because we have got you giving us a call at 866-408-7669. Wanted to talk about Commander and what the heck is going on with this dog at the White House. Let's go to Daniel in Smyrna, North Carolina. Daniel, great to have you on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Griff. How you doing? What do you think about this dog thing?
8: Okay, hey Cliff. Thanks for taking my call. Well, first of all, I'm 68 years old. I have been around dogs since I was six months. My son's first word was our dog's name, so I love dogs. So that being said, of all the breeds that we've had around our house, mutts and purebreds uh, it's like this. If if a man was to show a propensity to be violent and attack people, maybe we could reason with him some and, you know, say, look, if this happens again, these are the consequences. But a dog and your reason going on, pardon you got it, of, of that twenty times, you, he should have been put down or something done to him long. Twenty
3: four, twenty four. Daniel, can you can you believe that twenty four times? And you know his previous dog, Major, also had a propensity for biting people. He had to be removed from the White House, and then was ultimately rehomed as well. Daniel from North Carolina, have a great Thursday, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show and calling in. That's a great point. It's just common sense. If the dog's got a propensity towards violence, you gotta deal with it. It's not like a human you could reason with him. I want to, just before I run out of time, get one more call in there. Yvonne in Dayton, Ohio. Yvonne, you got thoughts about the dog situation at the White House. Calling from Dayton, by the way, a great home of aviation. Back when I was at Fox, uh, first came to Fox doing the war stories with Oliver North documentary on military history. We spent a lot of time at at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base where that great aviation museum is.
1: Thank you, that's great, Griff. Um, yeah, I have, um, I love animals, period, and as we know dogs, they know a person's true feelings and, and that dog is in a in a, an environment that I believe is causing him to react the way he has. And the other dog before him, Sergeant, I think we need to get that poor dog away from that house.
8: Yeah,
3: a good point, Yvonne. We're out of time. Thank you for calling in. It's a great point, though. Why are all of the dogs the president have at the White House causing these incidences of violent behavior? Who knows? We'll look into it further. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in for The Great Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmead.
3: You are listening to the Brian Kilmead radio show. This is your humble correspondent, Griff Jenkins, in the D.C. Bureau trying to fill these great shoes of Brian Kilmead. Thank you to Brian. For letting me take a moment and fill in. And as I have said before, it is such an honor to do so for a guy that started literally in radio and talk radio specifically in the 90s and now to be sitting behind the microphone today talking about any number of issues that are terribly pressing right now in the country to include the border and the national security risks out there, to include the upcoming election. We are already in the throes of a near general election at the earliest moment in history, to include the investigations going on on Capitol Hill. Uh, And, and of course, covering the trials of the former president, Donald Trump. I'm Griff Jenkins filling in the number 866-408-7669. You can go to com. We are looking to have a couple of guests this hour and including my colleague and friend, John Roberts, to sit down here and talk about what he's going to have on America Reports, a great afternoon show here on Fox News Channel. But before we do that and before we talk to him, I want to just get into sort of the latest on the investigation into Biden's family. Many folks have been following it. It can be complicated. It can be difficult at times. You know, the House Oversight Committee Chairman, Republican House Chairman James Comer, Jim Jordan have been pressing on this issue. And one of the more recent developments is the uh, testimony or deposition, as it were, yesterday of of the president's brother, Jim Biden. And sitting down now at the microphones, the one and only amazing John Roberts. Hey, John.
6: Griff, good to be with you, man.
3: Thank you so much. You know, I was telling you, you
6: move around a lot less than Brian Kilmeade
3: does. I was just telling the the listeners, I've been so honored to be sitting in for Brian because Brian was a fill in host before he had a radio show for Tony Snow, the guy up on the wall when I was producing that. And, you know, for the guy that produced radio in the 90s and early 2000s to be sitting behind the microphone, it's a huge honor, but it's a bigger honor to have you sitting here because not only are you. One of the smartest and talented anchors on <laughs> our minute. network, but also a great friend. And one somebody hel- else
6: just come in the room behind <laughs> what,
3: me. <here. laughs> one healthy musician. We're going to get into that stuff, but you know. Let me just ask you, what are you talking about on America Reports today? And, and I was just – I've covered the border a lot. Obviously, people see me out there, and we've talked about that. But one of the stories that I was just uh, getting into a little bit is we, we had the deposition of the mm-hmm. president's brother, uh, Jim Biden, Republicans now. We don't have a transcript, I think, yet and what's in there. We've had a few House Republicans out there saying essentially that, that they believe that – that he was, Jim Biden was lying about these business dealings. But for for viewers and listeners, it's a complicated story.
6: Yeah, Jason so. Smith was on this morning on Fox, and and he didn't say that he was lying, but he said he didn't think he was telling the truth. So <laughs> I mean, parse those could, words. He could drive a truck through that hole, but uh, I mean, essentially, he's calling him out, saying he doesn't believe a word that he says. When he said in his opening testimony, and that's really all we've heard at this point was that that written uh, testimony was that he says that Joe Biden was not a party to any of his business dealings and that he never traded on the Biden name. But, I mean, it's pretty clear that there was a lot of trading on the Biden name that was going on, either from Jim or from Hunter or from both.
3: Yeah, I mean, we'll find out if, if ultimately the Republicans are able to, to depose Hunter Biden and, and find out, you know, look, at on the one hand, you figure if, if you're in, in business and you have something that can strengthen your position – uh, uh, whatever it is in life, well, then who would follow you for that?
6: Yeah, well, ever- and, and that's the big issue. The big issue is, sure, there was influence peddling, but influence peddling goes on all the time. Right. Is influence peddling illegal? You know, it could be unseemly or maybe even begin to cross the boundary into unethical, but is it illegal? And here's the problem that Jason Smith, um, James Comer, and um, Jim Jordan have. They have been at this for years now and they've been at it full tilt for a couple of months and they haven't yet found anything that definitively links Joe Biden to any of this. And there's certainly nothing that smacks of criminality on his point. And they keep on talking and talking and talking about it. But until they put up that evidence, I think they're running into difficulty. It's a great point.
3: Uh, and this is John Roberts, anchor of America Reports, joining us here in studio. Griff Jenkins filling in for Brian Kilmeade, talking about the investigations into President Biden and his family uh, business dealings. It appears, and you know, John, I was uh, the reporter for Fox. just happened to be that day in Delaware when uh, essentially it was a dry, boring uh, deal to allow. Yeah, I remember that Joe Biden...
6: Hunter walks to, in, we're expecting him to, to come to, back out 20 minutes to to later plead To guilty smile on to, his face.
3: Yeah, to to tax, uh, not paying some taxes. And, and now Republicans have really sort of tied that prosecution into this larger business deal, which ultimately uh, goes down the the trail of impeaching the sitting president. And it's not clear, really, that they're going to get there. And it's interesting as we head into this election cycle, it's also hard to determine sort of how much voters uh, care about, how much stock they're putting into it, as opposed to, say, another issue like immigration and the border
6: that they get, and they're quite upset about it. Uh, The Republican base, clearly cares about this uh, an awful lot. And so I think that what's going on in the House is a real nod to the concerns of the Republican base. But it's true what you say about immigration. When you take a look at the number of people with violent pasts in other countries that have come into this country, it's more than 6,000 so far this year, 40 just the other day, or 10 just the other day, sorry. That is a real national security threat. When you have all these people coming over from China that are coming through Hakumba, California, and you were just there, and Bill Malugin's there now, who can't be vetted because we don't have any agreement with China to be able to check the backgrounds of people. They probably can't be sent back because there's no repatriation agreement. So where are they going to go? They're going to go somewhere in the United States, and they're probably here forever, and you don't really know who they are. All of this represents a real growing national security threat. We heard uh, Chris Ray uh, a couple of times before Congress testifying that the lights are blinking red in terms of national security when it comes to this immigration crisis. And I think it's only going to get worse. And people care about that. We saw the results of that in New Hampshire, where people said that that was their number one issue when they were going to the ballot box. And I think it's just going to get more and more of an issue between now and November. And now you have Joe Biden, who said I've done all I can as a president in terms of addressing the border? Congress has got to give me the power. I've been asking for it since day one. Well, now he's suddenly saying, "Well, you know, I do have the power of the executive pen," and he's probably going to do something just prior to the State of the Union address. We have some inkling of what it might be, and that is kind of shutting down the border when it hits a certain threshold. Of, I think fifty-four hundred people a day for a week, or eighty-five for a single, eighty-five hundred for a single day. So. You know, <laughs> to 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 coin a phrase, what he said about not having the presidential power to do something about it is malarkey because he does. It is malarkey, and that's that's
3: a great point, John. And you know, it's fascinating. It'll be interesting to see what President Biden does. Uh, and, and you're so right about you know what's what's different about the crisis now is it's shifted from. Eagle Pass, Texas, and Governor Abbott's efforts, clearly with the razor wire, the containers, the enforcement on Texas TPS, has played a role, along with Mexico's cooperation, to shut things down, and it's moved west. But what we're seeing out west is... And the only reason why we ended up in Hakumba uh, to be you know transparent about it all, was the leaders of the Border Patrol and CBP that have been muzzled by the administration that were able to talk in the last administration, and now they don't let them talk to do these interviews. They tell me behind closed doors on uh, off-camera that this is what's happening. You've got to go here, you got to go there, Eagle Pass, all these Venezuelans. Now they're saying they're worried first and foremost. And what keeps them up at night is that national security risk. In places like Hakumba, you are from California, you spend time in California, you know it's very different than flat Texas along a river. It's mountainous. And even if you had funding in a will on this administration's part to build the wall, you can't build the wall at elevation 4,000 with rocks and everything else out there. And so it's a different challenge. And it's one where now we're seeing, as Bill Malusian has been showing and I was showing last week, these migrants flying from China, from Kazakhstan, from Syria, from all over the world, literally into Tijuana's airport. Mm-hmm. Cartels are driving them out to these remote locations, and they're coming across. And they they can't. Many of them can't be sent back. The three Syrians I interviewed, guy says How are you, you to send, send them back. Nice life. You can't send them back. There's no, no repatriation, and and it's a big problem. And in in I'll I'll say one more thing about it. That is, you know. If the president chooses and they're going to call it a different name, because remember, the political uh, politics of this, you can't have the same name. But if the president chose to do something akin to remain in Mexico, I do genuinely believe it could have an impact because we did see numbers drop under the Trump administration when they put remain in Mexico. And that's just a simple policy summed up in short, meaning you have to stay in Mexico or whatever the first country you got to where you had some asylum. To apply for some in the U.S. rather than illegally crossing to do so and be released. And the best sign that I can offer of of, of why that might work again is I collected John, and I'll show you uh, here at some point off air uh, uh, several half a dozen or more of the Mexican temporary visa cards mm-hmm. of all Chinese individuals. Now they're their real names. They gave their real names likely mm-hmm. to the Mexican. Government Because Mexico requires still, which started in the Trump administration, continues today, requires migrants to get a six-month temporary visa or however long they're given to remain legally in that country. But it's interesting how easily they give those out, isn't it? it, They give them out like Like candy. candy. But but the migrants, particularly the Chinese, are ditching them as soon as they cross the border because they don't want proof that they do
6: have safe haven in Mexico where they could wait for their term to play, play out. It, when you take a look at the Remain of Mexico policy, it, it fell under enormous criticism from from the left because it was creating almost refugee camps, as you know, because you were there across the just across the border in, in Mexico. But it had a profound effect on limiting the number of people who were coming into this country. December of 2020, which was the third month of fiscal year 2021, 71,000 people crossed the border. This past December, it was 305,000 people who crossed the border. So clearly it was having an effect. But the left end immigration advocates will do anything that they can to demonize any policy that just doesn't allow people to come across the border in droves the way they are now. But when you take a look at the fact that more than 7,200,000 people have come across the border during the Biden administration, do you think that they all have innocent intent? Or are there a few bad apples in there? That's such a good point. I think what we've seen in New York City would indicate, and and the problem that they're having with this gang, Tren de Aragua, from Venezuela, is that there's a lot of bad apples who were in there. Now, overwhelmingly, I believe that the people who come across the border have good intent. They're looking for a better life. They want to work. Or they want to take advantage of the social system, whatever. But they're not out for criminal intent. But I think there is a certain percentage, and it's and when you have that many people coming across, the numbers are fairly large you, of people who have nefarious intent. You bet. And you can look every day, John, at Twitter and social media, and CBP
3: puts out these things saying, "If you don't have a legal basis to remain in the U.S., you will be removed." Well, here's the thing: What ten years from now? With what? There aren't enough planes and buses. The 7 million-plus people you just talked about, if I said, hey, John, listen, there's 7 million people here we've let loose in the country illegally, and they actually don't have the right to be here, I'm going to round them up. That would be more than if I took a bus and rounded up the entire state populations of Wyoming, Alaska, Vermont, and North Dakota combined.
6: You can't deport Four entire states. You know, more people have come across the border during the Biden administration than the population of New Zealand, the population of Ireland, you know, a lot of other countries around the world. It's like everybody from Ireland moved here all of a sudden. It's, you know, can you imagine the chaos that that could create? getting all of those people in and and dealt with and adjudicated. It's it's crazy. But that's what's happening. It's jaw-dropping. And it's clearly why.
3: It's a top issue. I'm running out of time here. They're going to yell at me if I don't take a break. But real
6: quick, what else you got coming up on the show? Uh, We're going to be looking a lot at this idea of uh, Biden and this executive order. And the opposition that he's going to get for it, uh, the fact that he said that he couldn't do it, but he really can, and what are the political implications of that? And of course, what are the national security implications? So we're going to go, we're going to go heavy on on immigration today, but there's a lot of other things that we'll cover, including that upcoming primary in South Carolina. I'm, oh yeah, I'm headed that there game. this afternoon. We're going to be doing America Reports out of South Carolina on Friday, and then we have a special show on Saturday afternoon, and then our coverage um, of the uh, returns. Uh, Brett Baer's got a great interview with Vladimir Zelensky that we're going Amazing to highlight. Amazing stuff. We were playing on. We'll some talk of about that. the situation there in Ukraine and funding and all that. So, Got um, a lot to talk about this afternoon. Plus, of course, breaking news changes everything. It does indeed. <laughs> I've been the reporter waiting to do a hit. News
3: breaks. That's the nature of the business. The great John Roberts. America reports 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern with Sandra Smith. Set your dial DVR or tune in live. That's the best way to watch it. Why do it.
6: I feel like Billy Mack talking about <laughs> if you really love Christmas? <laughs> Listen, we were talking about. About the White House dog Please and claim play my under. festering blank <laughs> of a record. <laughs> That's right.
3: And by the way, John was a great DJ going way back, the man of many, many talents. John, thanks for being here. All right, Griff, good to see you. This is Griff Jenkins, filling in on The Brian kilmeade Show, 866 4087 669. Give us a shout. We'll be right back.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmead Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: You get it? All on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You get it. All the news, the entertainment with the great Brian Kilmeade. This is your humble correspondent, Griff Jenkins, trying to fill those giant shoes. And if you were just previously listening, you heard our, you heard our great interview with John Roberts, uh, anchor of America Reports. He does it every day, 1 to 3 p.m. And we started, we finished talking on the border, but but at the beginning we were talking a little bit of the Republicans, House Republicans investigation into the Biden family business dealings. And as John alluded to, you had one of the House leaders, Jason Smith from Missouri, on, on Hannity uh, last night. And then he was on our channel as well because he's one of the point guys on this. Talking a little bit about just exactly what's going on with this family brand, which, as the Republicans point out, ultimately is the big guy himself, Joe Biden. Listen here, cut eight.
0: All James Biden was doing today was protecting the family brand. Proven at every step, that's what they do best. They protect the brand. They sell access to the brand around the world. And I would remind the viewers, the brand is President Joe Biden. We have numerous WhatsApp messages and emails provided to us by the IRS whistleblowers that show James Biden was intimately involved along Hunter, Tony Bobolinsky, Rob Walker and others in selling access to his brothers to foreigners. So for James to sit there today and say his brother had no involvement in these business dealings and no knowledge is complete hogwash.
3: Ah, but you talk to uh, ranking members, Democrat members, and they take a very different view of these things. Jamie Raskin, ranking member on, uh, I believe it's Oversight uh, or Judiciary, uh, he says he heard nothing from James Biden. This is cut 10. Listen here. I lied. I'm going to have to play it when I come back because we're out of time. This is Griff Jenkins, your humble correspondent in D.C., filling in for the great Brian Kilmeade show. I didn't mean to tease you with that sound bite, but we'll give it to you soon enough when we come back.
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Today's
6: um, uh, transcribed interview with the brother of uh, President Biden, Mr. James Biden. um, We obviously, again, have heard nothing indicating that uh, Joe Biden had anything to do with the business ventures of Hunter Biden or um, James Biden. And uh, nothing has contradicted that basic understanding that we've had for many, many months now.
3: Oh, that basic understanding. That was Jamie Raskin, Democrat congressman from Maryland, who is the ranking member of the Oversight Committee, which is looking into the business dealings of the Biden family, talking about the deposition yesterday of the brother Of Joe Biden, Jim Biden, there. And joining us now, Andrew McCarthy, a friend, one of the smartest guys I know, a Fox News contributor, a former assistant U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and the author of an awesome book, Ball of Confusion, Collusion The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andrew, Tell me, if you will, and, you know, that that, that we've got this playing out. There's talk maybe now that uh, House Republicans are really losing uh, their sort of push because they've been digging into this for for a long time and and possibly giving up on, on using this as grounds to impeach. President Biden. But you've got Jamie Raskin there saying essentially that uh, nothing was said. But you talk to Republicans like Jason Smith and others that say they uh, they believe, well, they don't believe that Jim Biden was lying. They just believe that he wasn't telling the truth. What do you make of it?
0: Well, you know, a lot of this grip is always going to be Two ships passing in the night where people are making statements that have to be carefully parsed, and if you listen to them long enough you, you it's kind of hard to believe they were in the same room while the same witness was testifying. but you know when the when the Democrats are saying um, you know there's nothing here," what they really mean is that there's nothing provably criminal that they have seen to this point, which may be true. Um, And and I say that because, you know, corruption is a kind of a a ambiguous term, and it covers under it a lot of stuff that is flatly illegal, like, you know, criminal fraud and the like. And then a lot of stuff that's in the nature of self-dealing, which may not necessarily be criminal in the sense of being prosecutable, uh, but is very uh, you know unsavory, and um, and the public would expect you would think uh, better behavior from uh, its elected representatives. So, you know, they're trying to parse. Uh, they're, they're trying to say that basically, if there's nothing indictable here that Joe Biden did, then everything's just peachy. And on the Republican side, what they're trying to say is, well, we don't know if he did anything indictable or not, but we have 24 million dollars from apparatchiks of uh, governments that are both corrupt and hostile to the United States, um, who paid that money into the coffers of the Biden family and their associates. And even if there isn't anything that you can prosecute out of it, it stinks to high heaven. And it's exactly (laughs) what the framers were worried about when they put an impeachment clause in the constitution. Uh, You know, I, I wrote a book about this back in 2014, Oddly, you know, I don't remember who the president was then, Griff, but nobody wanted to talk impeachment <laughs> back back at that time.
2: But, it's such a good know, point.
0: Yeah, so, you know, what the framers were worried about was that the awesome powers of the, president, the presidency that they had created would be purchased by a foreign power. They weren't worried about – there was no Justice Department at that time. They weren't worried about, like, whether the prosecutors yeah. would be able to make a case. They were worried about whether the country would survive. So – you know,
3: very different perspective, and a, a great insight. Andrew McCarthy joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your humble correspondent, Griff Jenkins, trying to fill in for for Brian and talking to one of the smartest guys out there. And Andrew, you know, when when I've had the the honor of interviewing you on the weekend show, and when you've come on, and I've been on TV guest hosting for various things you always do such a great job of breaking it down. And so in layman terms, I'd like to get your sort of read on we just have learned, for those that follow uh, this whole investigation, the arrest of a FBI uh, informant uh, Alexander Smirnoff. And, and there was one one soundbite I saw on CNN of Rep Dan Goldman, who by the way was the chief counsel for the Judiciary Committee uh, back in a, a previous era that got him self-elected in, in New York, a, a very uh, progressive, leaning sort of liberal guy making a name for himself. and, and, and I want to play a soundbite for you talking. Well, I don't think it's necessarily going to land him Andrew in the historical audio archives of history, but yet it's definitely going to get at least 24 hours' notice for, "Oh my gosh, he actually went there. Listen to this, cut 12.
5: Well, it's pretty shocking, and especially what it means that has been going on for the last four years, which is that, wittingly or unwittingly, House Republicans have been acting as an agent or an asset of Russian intelligence for Vladimir Putin. Uh, This whole Burisma thing was debunked during the first impeachment investigation in 2019 by numerous, numerous witnesses, all of whom experts on Ukraine and Russia. (laughs) <laughs> so, remember,
3: you were talking about that, that previous uh, stuff. We we know that uh, Democrats believe that Donald Trump was a Russian agent. Now it's actually just all of the House Republicans pursuing what appears to be the selling of a family brand. What is your read yeah. on that? What's your reaction to sound Biden? And if you can, sort of tell us where we stand with the rest of this FBI. Deal.
0: Well, you know, I, I don't like to... Um, speak badly of, uh, of poor Dan. He's a, he's an alumnus of my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office in uh, uh, Manhattan.
3: I know. That's um, why I set you up for it. I don't want you to say anything bad. It's just, when I hear comments like that, and I actually think a lot of, of Congressman Goldman and, and back during, you know, his previous job as Chief Counsel for, for the Judiciary Committee, he was very insightful and willing to talk to us and give us insight. Smart guy. He's just, you know... I mean, I heard that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you went there.
0: Well, you know, Griffin, the other job that he had uh, before he ran for Congress was he was the um, chief counsel to Adam Schiff during the Ukraine impeachment when all of these talking points started to be uh, erected, right, which is why he's now talking about how it was debunked in the very um, uh, efficient prosecution that he did or uh, uh, impeachment investigation that he did of Trump in connection with Ukraine. And of course, you know, as anybody who watched that thing knows, nothing at all was debunked in terms of the Bidens and and Ukraine. They did as much as they could to suppress that and turn it into um, an investigation of whether Trump refused to uh, or tried to withhold uh, funding that Congress had authorized for Ukraine in order to try to prompt them to investigate his political opposition, but nothing got debunked in terms of whether there was something there to investigate or not. And what the House committees have shown since then is that. Um, Hunter Biden was put on the Burisma board. Uh, he was paid millions of dollars if it wasn't crass enough. The minute that Joe Biden was out of power as vice president, Burisma slashed Hunter's salary in half. So it's not like you know they were exactly subtle about what was going on here. Um, and as soon as Burisma started to pay Hunter Biden, Hunter arranged for the CFO of Burisma to come to Washington and meet with Joe Biden personally. There's a paper trail of, about that. There's emails in connection with that. Uh, Vadim Pojarski was the guy's name. Um, and they expected that by having Hunter and, on the board and paying him, that they were going to get the Bidens, in and, and particular Joe Biden and the U.S. government, to, to quash the Ukrainian investigation of Burisma. And when Hunter didn't act fast enough to get that done, uh, Pozharsky's emails got more demanding to the point that I believe it was late October. Uh, late, uh, of 2015, where they had a Barisma board meeting in Dubai, where Pozharsky and the guy who ran uh, Barisma, Lochevsky, show up at the luxury hotel that Hunter and Devin Archer are staying at, and they basically <laughs> say, "We need you to call your dad right now." And he put he called his dad and he put him on the phone with these guys. None of that has anything to do with this Russian, you know, w- with this uh, with this informant who just got. Charge. And we do know that I think it was within two weeks of that meeting in Dubai that Biden, Joe Biden, vice president then, was in Ukraine and by his own account threatened the Ukrainian government that if they didn't fire the prosecutor, he was going to withhold a billion dollars of American funding. So, you know, none of Wait that depends second. on are, the that
3: are, are you saying any of that could be connected? <laughs> it's just like I'm glad well, I mean, like, you know it's another it's another it's another example uh, and i don't want to put you on the spot there, but no. it's another example of you know <laughs> unfulfilled expectations is one of life 's greatest frustrations, and particularly when you're spending uh like crazy to try and get some influence listen. Great point. Great insight. I I do. Before I lose you, Andrew, because I could talk to you about a thousand different topics. I want to just take a moment uh, before I run out of time to talk about, you know, the the past couple of days I was filling in for Kilmeade on Fox and Friends. Uh, anchoring the morning show, and you know, we talked a lot about. We saw Donald Trump responding to the now 450 million dollars he's being told he's going to have to pay in, in the in the civil fraud case, and you even had New York's Attorney General Letitia James doubling down. Uh, essentially saying that she's eyeing properties to liquidate like Trump Tower, like 40 West and others. It's it's really it's quite shocking. I just want to play one quick soundbite uh, for you of James on ABC and why they put her out there really is, is kind of a communications uh, blunder, I would think. But they did it anyway. Here's what some of what James said. Can you give me cut eight uh, cut twenty eight? If he does not have funds uh, to pay off the judgment, uh, then we will seek, uh, you know, judgment
1: enforcement mechanisms in court, and we will ask the judge to seize his assets. Financial frauds are not victimless crimes. He engaged in this massive amount of fraud, and it wasn't just a simple mistake, a slight oversight. The variations were wildly exaggerated, and the extent of the fraud was staggering.
3: Last I checked, tourism is up.
1: And Wall Street is doing
3: just fine. <laughs> and, you know, the question's been asked, who's the victim in this case to begin with? What do you make of that? And do you think there's really uh, a possibility in this case that we see Trump tower other uh, actual uh, assets being seized?
0: Well, there's a lot of endings left to be played, right? He says he's going to appeal what people need to understand about appeal is you get an automatic cr- appeal in criminal cases, but in civil cases, you have to post the judgment amount with the court uh, in order to be allowed to appeal because courts want to make sure you're not doing it just for delay and that if you lose, you'll, you'll pay. So Trump has said he's going to appeal, which means he's going to have to post uh, this money. So it'll, you know, uh, 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 attorney general James is going to have to wait a little bit if, if Trump does that. And it's a, look, it's a big nut, $450 million, especially when you combine it with the other judgments that he's already looking at. That's going to tie up a lot of his money. Um, but he's got some arguments to make on appeal, and I think it'll be a while before uh, Tish James gets to settle in at uh, 40 Wall Street or whatever number that building is. Um, I, I think it should be frightening to people that they took a statute that really is supposed to apply in consumer fraud cases where you're not, where you're dealing with like one crooked business that is defrauding a bunch of consumers out of a few bucks a piece where none of them has the uh, wherewithal to, to sue. And that's what that statute's meant for. She applied it for the first time ever uh, in the context of, financial deals where both sides are sophisticated financial players and do their own due diligence. And she wants you to believe that New York State, of all the, the fabulous, efficient, and, and competent things New York State famously does, that their investigators are better at appraising risk than like J.P. Morgan Chase and Deutsche Bank, you know, <laughs> institutions that have skin in the game. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is unseemly. But I also think, Griff, it's a sad commentary on what's happened to the culture, because when I was a prosecutor eons ago, if a prosecutor sought office, elective office, saying, if you put me in office, I will use the powers of the state against our political enemies, that would have been disqualifying. And yet James not only did that, she got elected in a landslide in New York. So New York's a very different place than it used to be
3: it'll be interesting to see where this all goes and you're right 450 million is a Big dollar figure to have to come up with. We'll see how it plays out. And and really what the impact is on James's own obviously uh, uh, self-admitted political career that she is is hitching to the prosecution of Donald Trump. And yet now one of the perhaps unintended consequences is you've got people like Kevin O'Leary of Shark Tank saying, my goodness, why would you even invest in New York with things like this? Andrew McCarthy, you can follow him at Andrew C. McCarthy on Twitter, also known as X, whatever they're calling it now. And you can check out his book, Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. And you can catch him all the time on Fox News. Andrew, thank you for your insights, as always. Appreciate your time, friend.
0: Thanks so much, Griff. Appreciate it.
3: This is Griff Jenkins filling in, pinch-hitting for the great Brian Kilmeade on The Kilmeade Show. Give us a call, 866-408-7669. We'll be right back.
2: Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Killmead coming up. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Killmead. And we also have to start having a, you know, all kinds of Democrats criticizing the president, too, publicly. I, I don't understand why. I, I don't
0: know what's in it for you to do that, whether you're just chasing clout or you want to make it in the news or anything like that. But if you're not willing to just support the president now and say these kinds of things, you might as well just get your MAGA hat because you now yeah. are helping Trump at this.
3: <laughs> might as well get your MAGA hat. That is Pennsylvania Democrat Senator John Fetterman and this is Griff Jenkins filling in on the Brian Kilmeade radio show. Go to Brian Kilmead dot com and check it out. Uh you know As the guy that covers Congress, and I have been in this godforsaken town, nation's capital, for more than 25 years, every so often a politician comes along and you just can't get enough of him. And the evolution of John Fetterman, who came obviously recovering from a stroke that now has become a unique Democrat voice, really reminds me of the old blue-collar Democrat. He votes Democrat. Obviously, he has some progressive ideas, perhaps when it comes to fiscal issues, but when it comes to the support of Israel, he is absolutely unmovable. The border, he talks about the crisis in the open border policies, and now he is taken to the Morning Joe show for a rant, telling it like it is, saying, might as well get your MAGA hat. John Fetterman is the senator to keep your eye on watch. I'm Griff Jenkins. Here
0: on the Brian Kilmeade Show, the best in radio.
8: From the Fox News
2: Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.